This message was recorded live at Life Church Lancashire, a contemporary Christian church in the north of England. Learn more at lifelanks.org. Every year we hear this story. The cast of characters are familiar. The shepherds, the star, the angels, the innkeeper, the donkey, the magi. We make costumes, watch our children perform, sometimes brilliantly, sometimes hilariously. But the story itself becomes like wallpaper. It fades into the background. It's there, but we rarely stop to notice it. A virgin gives birth. Mary is found to be pregnant by the Spirit. We've heard these kind of stories before, but something is different here. This is not something from mythology. A story that we understand never actually happened, designed only to be entertaining or educational. Here we find real people in a particular time and place. So when something extraordinary happens, it can't be discounted simply as the work of fiction. The story doesn't carry on as if this kind of thing's to be expected in this fantasy world. We're not reading Harry Potter or Lord of the Rings. No, the story itself acknowledges that this is difficult to believe. And this is where we find Joseph. He was pledged to be married to Mary, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Joseph was a good man, so although the law allowed him to have her stoned, that was not an option for him. He decided to break things off quietly to avoid making it public. Joseph knew that virgins don't get pregnant. To claim that people in the ancient world didn't know where babies come from is not only ridiculous, It's insulting. The benefits of 2,000 years of scientific progress does not make it any more difficult for us to believe than it was for them at that time. Mary asked, how can this be? Joseph's reaction tells us that he understood perfectly. Or so he thought. The story tells us that God spoke to Joseph and his mind was changed. He heard that this child was born of God and he was obedient to what he heard, taking Mary home as his wife. How did Joseph know that this message was really from God? Well, firstly, he'd never think of such an explanation. He wasn't considering the chances of a virgin birth. Never entered his mind. Secondly, The same word was given to Mary. It's one thing to hear a message. It's another thing for two people to independently, coincidentally, hear the same message with the same detail. That is very unlikely. Thirdly, it was consistent with God's previous word of prophecy. And fourthly, it was consistent with God's nature. To save. To rescue. Love was stamped across it. This sounded like God. Finally, the prophecy of a son came true. Okay, it's a 50-50 chance. But it was something immediate and obvious that gave further confidence in the truth of the word, together with many other prophecies about the Messiah that were fulfilled in Jesus. It starts to become so unlikely as to become practically impossible that it could happen by chance. Joseph 
believed. That belief kept the story going. Mary was experiencing the pregnancy. It was happening to her. But Joseph, in a sense, was the first to have faith in, to trust in Jesus. And since then, many have followed in his footsteps. Great. Love to hear a little bit of your story, mate. Uh, my name's Pete, married to the beautiful Bryony. Got two little girls, Belle and Jasmine. Um, my name's Rachel. We just moved here from Manchester in August and we started to come to Life Church in September. Uh, grew up in a town called Hayward. Great loving Christian parents. Uh, went to a Christian school. So had a real like, Christianised upbringing. I grew up in a Christian home, my parents were Christians, my brothers and sisters were Christians, um, went to kind of all the youth groups and stuff over the holidays and um, I set up and ran like the Christian Union at my secondary school and so I was kind of well known at my school and with all the teachers as well and the headmaster as being this kind of radical evangelical Christian person. So I think it came as a bit of a shock in my last year of school when I decided I didn't want to be a Christian anymore. I went to all this church stuff, but the real thing that was kind of um, meant anything to me in life was football. Um, as a teenager, I was going through a lot of the classic teenage stuff of feeling rejected, feeling like what's the point, what's the purpose in life, asking all those kind of big, deep questions. And I remember going to this church event um, and just feeling really alone and going home and praying to God that night and saying, God, if you're real, come and be real in my heart. So I actually prayed a prayer at the beginning of the, my final year of school and said, do you know what, God, I do believe you're, you're real, but I'm just going to take a whole year. I'm not going to speak to you. I'm not going to go to church. I'm not going to have anything to do with Christianity in any way. And I'm just going to do everything that my friends do. I'm going to say yes to everything they say yes to. I'm going to try everything that they try um, just for a year and just see what the difference is because I need to know for myself. I just had this incredible experience of, of love enjoy and so I was 15 years old and that, that I would say it was the night everything changed for me and just from then um, wanted to know okay who is this Jesus and wanted to tell everyone about this God who was real, who was love, who was purpose and then I came to Burnley for, for three years, worked with young people in the community and suddenly I'm working with thousands of young people in schools, being a role model in a local church. It just came back to me for a feeling of, of purpose just what are we on this earth to do? Are we here just to be here and have a great time and then die? Um, and for me, that wasn't enough. It wasn't enough for me to live my life and just do what I wanted to do and then just at the end of it have nothing. You know, he cares about so many of the decisions we make in our lives, about where we are as a family, where we live, you know, what we do with our time, what we do with our money, what we do with, you know, our gifts and our skills and, and how all of that is important to him and to other people. So, yeah, from that time of 18 years old onwards, uh, been able to lead pays uh, in Great Britain. Had the opportunity to travel to India a couple of times. Just all kinds of things I never imagined doing. Um, September 2014, helping to start Burnley High School, first Christian school in Burnley for 500 years. One of the things for me about belief and why it became a personal issue with me is a verse that I got given um, during that time when I um, was uh, kind of transitioning from school to. To, to uni and everything was um, a verse that says even though a mother may reject her baby I will never reject you or forsake you and for me that was a really key verse because going through such a transitional time and kind of moving out from 
family and from security and a place that you're known in the community into kind of this unknown adult world, it was really important to know that there was someone there who would always kind of have my back and always be there for me, really. Peter, if somebody asks you, and I'm sure often you do, that you had to tell them in that sentence, why do you believe in God? What would your answer be? I believe in God because he's real to me. Um, because I've seen the way he's worked through my life. Um, because things that I've been able to test in the Bible, I've, I've seen that, uh, the evidence of that. You know, so not everything we can test, but the things that I've been able to see, test, I've, I've seen happen. Uh, I believe in God because of all the best people in my life, God is at the centre of their life. Uh, and I, I look at their lives and the way they live their lives and the way they live their lives and the fruit that comes from their lives is because of their belief in God. How is like a educated 21st century Western person, can you believe something like that? It's not for me about having to believe about being worried about questioning what's said in the Bible as, you know, do you take it literally or do you take it as an interpretation or a story of what happened? It, that's not an issue for me because I think there are lots of different ways of interpreting any text, whether it's the Bible or anything else. Everybody can kind of come with their own experiences and understand it in different ways. You know, if you go back to the, the time of, of when Jesus was around, it was really common practice to talk amongst each other and discuss different ways of interpreting ancient texts and understanding them. And, and I don't feel like there's anything wrong in, in coming and learning and, and asking questions about the Bible and how it's understood. But when I was actually thinking about, does it matter to me whether the virgin birth you know, was true or not, whether it, I found out it actually really does matter to me, whereas creation might not in the same way. It really does matter to me because it's about understanding who Jesus was as the son of God. And, and there's a massive difference between Jesus being a prophet who was just a great guy and being the son of God and right. the Messiah and someone who came so that we could be forgiven. And, and it just takes away all the grace part for me of Christianity. So for me, it really is in, in, you know, important that I believe that. I think that there was a star and some shepherds and a, a donkey was there, a, a stable was involved. I think there's a better way, actually, to tell the Christmas story than that. In fact, I think there's a better way to tell the Christmas story in one sentence. Christmas. Something remarkable happened. I don't know if you saw on the news last week or were you one of the lucky ones shopping on Amazon and you managed to buy something for 1p because of a computer glitch with a third-party software and many items on the site were discounted as low as 1p. There was one video games retailer that shipped £11,000 worth of goods for which the customer had only paid £146. Ouch. I don't know how the undervaluing of those products would have affected that business, but I think that belief is something that's undervalued today. Belief has become this thing which was almost like it's only halfway towards knowing something. Like if we know something, we know it in some sense, we can prove it. But if we believe it, it only kind of half exists because we only half know it. So things that you believe end up becoming just the private opinion, just what that you think. That's what you believe. Fair enough. But this belief, 
if true, changes everything. See, we can associate belief with weird kind of ideas and weird people. Maybe the gullible. The gullible are the ones that believe. They'll just take anything on. They'll just believe it. They'll believe what they hear. And people who believe can be these people who are kind of, they're on the fringe. They're kind of mystical. They're a bit odd. They're a little bit strange. They believe all kinds of odd things. But that is not a Christian way to think. Because a Christian way to think is that this is not blind faith. And neither is it reasoning alone. But what I think we need to do is reestablish a proper understanding of belief where reasoning fails. It's a little bit like marriage. When you get married, you come to the altar. And at that point, if you know nothing about your spouse, if you nor your family have any idea about them, that is not very smart. It it makes sense to to know something, to make a a wise decision, to to go into it with advice, to make those steps of reason, of thinking things through and figuring out whether you think that this will work with good counsel. But then as you get to that point, you make the final step, not a leap, but a step of faith. Because when you get married, however much you know about somebody, you do not know everything that will happen. You do not know what might happen in their life. You do not know how they might react. You do not know the circumstances and challenges that you might face in life. Yes, reason has led you to this point, but then you take a step of faith. When a jury listens to the evidence, they they don't just say, well, I I believe this guy's guilty because, you know, I I had a vision last night that he was guilty. That's not enough. They take the steps, they listen to reason, but then at the end of it all, they have to put their faith in the verdict that they give. But not blind faith. You see, God has given us minds. Why did he do that? So we could use them to think. And there are reasons to believe in the immaculate conception, the virgin birth. The event itself is supernatural by definition. Therefore, it has no problem at standing outside the bounds of scientific understanding. But Christianity doesn't content itself with leaving it there, but appeals to history. You see, science studies the repeatable. History studies the unrepeatable. There was only one first landing on the moon. Caesar only crossed the Rubicon once. There's only one opportunity to make your debut. And historians don't usually see this as a problem. They're not usually shy about saying that events took place just because they were remarkable or just because they couldn't be repeated in a laboratory. In fact, history is full of unlikely things. But this is an unlikely thing that we have some evidence for. I think one of the most convincing proofs that Jesus is who he said he was is that his own family believed. Your family know what you're like. But we see Jesus' mother and his adopted father and his brother James being one of the leading figures in the early church. Even his own family believed. 
When we look at Jesus' life, we start to see that there is something extraordinary about him, that he has affected history more than any other figure. We consider the resurrection and the evidence for it. We look at the incredible growth and development of the early church, where a persecuted small minority in an obscure corner of the Roman Empire became the greatest social movement that planet Earth had ever seen. Why? Well, maybe what got them going was this really was God, and he really was raised from the dead. In fact, it's very, very hard to explain sociologically why the church rose and took the form it did without the virgin birth and the resurrection. It's not irrational. It's a step of faith based on evidence. One sentence, Christmas, something remarkable happened. Yes, it was remarkable, but it isn't just a story. It's something that happened. It's a historic event. Something remarkable happened. God became man. I love, as we were talking on the VT that we just watched, and my friend Rachel articulated, does this matter to me? It matters. It matters that Jesus was fully God. You see, what religion says is, here's the way you can reach God. Here's the way you can get to God. Here's the way you should live. Here's the way you should behave. Here's the way you should act to get to God. Jesus did something totally different. He came not to bring religion or irreligion. It was something totally new. God came to us. He didn't come to bring a new teaching. He came to bring new life. He reached across a divide that we could never reach, where we could never become good enough for God. And where people say, why doesn't God do something about the problems in the world? He dramatically once and for all answered that. It's called Christmas. God reached into our world. He became a man, fully God, yes, conceived by God, but also born of a woman, fully man, that he could be the one to bring us back into relationship with God, that he could heal that divide, that he could bring us back into relationship, that he could understand every challenge and every trial that we face. Jesus did that for us. The band are going to come and join me because the end of this sentence is this. That Christmas, something remarkable happened. God became man to rescue and to renew. I think another way to tell the story of Christmas is recorded by an eyewitness to Jesus, a man named John. And he said this in the third chapter of his book, in verse 16, that God so loved the world, was so passionate that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. That's an incredible way to tell this story of Christmas, God's passionate love. And as we we read that story, we hear about this idea that whoever believes, it's like belief is the key. Now, why is that? Isn't that exclusive? Why is it only for the believers? Well, I think it's because there's something about belief. You see, belief is the key that opens us up to access God. You see, in a relationship, you have to believe in the other person. In a relationship, it's nothing without trust. And God didn't 
spell it out for us right to the end. Yes, he gave us evidence, so we don't have to take a leap of faith. We take the steps of reason and considering and thinking things through and studying things and discussing things and reflecting on things and seeing the incredible impact of God in history. But then we take that final step, the step of faith, the belief, because whoever believes in him is ready, is open to that relationship. Relationship can now be possible. It's not some sort of knockdown argument which drowns and insults everybody else and forces them to come around to this way. No, it's more beautiful. It's more perfect. It's more loving because we have to take the final step, the step of faith. It's whoever believes. That is not an exclusion. It's a beautiful opportunity for us to enter into a relationship with the one who created us. And whoever believes can enjoy life, this kind of life which doesn't end, which death is defeated. And Jesus started something new at that first Christmas. Just as the Spirit was involved in creating the world at the beginning of Scripture, here new creation begins as the Spirit bursts something within Mary. And Jesus starts to make everything new. Christmas. Something remarkable happened. God became man to rescue and to renew. There's a famous old Christmas carol about a little drummer boy. And this drummer boy, he's, he's poor. He doesn't have anything to bring. He, he's no gift that he thinks is worthy of giving to somebody like this, to a king, anything. What can I do in response to this incredible story of Christmas where God became man, where he entered our world because of his love for us? He wanted to bring us back into relationship with him. How can I respond? Well, I'll just bring what I've got. I haven't got much. And you may be here today thinking, I haven't got much. How do I respond to Christmas? How do I respond to the fact that everything's becoming new because of what Jesus has done? Well, just bring what you have. You see, God gave his best. And Christmas is an invitation for us to respond in kind. To give our best, whatever it has, like a drummer. I love that this song's about a drummer because there's something about drumming that it just involves your whole body. It involves your energy. It's musical. It's creative. But it also involves passion and strength and noise and music. And I love that. And I think that's an image of our lives, that we can respond to Christmas with some energy, with some enthusiasm with a response that says, God, you gave everything at Christmas. I'm going to take that final step to believe in you and to be involved by doing what I can do, even though it seems small. You've invited me to be involved in God and man being reconciled, between the earth becoming different, between heaven being seen right here, even in unlikely places, and a new creation beginning to work out. Yes, things can be different. Why? Because of Christmas. And you can be involved. Discover more about us at lifelanks.org and stay inspired by subscribing to the podcast via iTunes. Thanks for listening.